The system of power turns like a wheel. You can rise to the top through money or steel. You could lift up others or leave them in muck. But it's the poor who will suffer when the wheel becomes stuck. If the problems aren't met with any solution, the wheel must turn in bloody revolution. The vermin will rise as the predator sinks. Let's see then if the fox can outsmart the lynx. The first thing Lillian did the next day was to test her weight on her wounded leg. Lowering slowly over her bedside, she prayed to the paddestone that it wouldn't hinder her movement too much. Thankfully, Telson had only intended to send her a warning, and the cut was nothing more than a deep scratch just below her right knee. She put her foot on the floor, and when she felt no great pain, she stood up carefully from her bed. Shifting her weight from side to side, Lillian breathed a sigh of relief. She cleaned the cut with salt water and wrapped a bandage that she had boiled the night before around her leg. As she tied the knot, her mind went back to the fight the night before. This wasn't the first time she had replayed the event over in her mind. In fact, she'd thought of little else since the door closed behind Telson on his way out. Should she have shoved him instead of kicked? No, shoving is too obvious. He would have dodged it easily. What about a sweep? Telson must use a cane for a reason. Perhaps his legs were his weak spot. But no matter how many different moves she played out in her mind, Telson always came out on top. For a second, she even found herself thanking him in her head for choosing to only give her a flesh wound. He was a skilled enough swordsman to have caused a deeper cut if he had wanted. Or, gods forbid, he could have aimed a few inches higher and slashed the artery in her leg. Lillian shuddered at the thought. Fretha looked up, blinked sleepily, and then stretched her front legs out in front of her. Her coat cycled quickly through lime greens, patchy blues, and ended on a deep golden yellow. The sun was only just rising over the horizon its orange light creeping past chimney tops and in through the curtains like a cat returning home from its nighttime prowling. Lillian's little room began to brighten as she stood up confidently and performed a few simple stretches, readying her body for the efforts of the day. As she breathed in deeply and felt the aches and kinks disappear, she affirmed two things clearly in her mind. One was that today she was about to rob the most dangerous men and women in the city, and two, she was definitely not going anywhere near the palace. This probably meant that she would have to move out of her little room, as Telson would undoubtedly return here to look for her once she missed her appointment with the Empress. One of the benefits of only recently arriving somewhere is that it does not take long to pack up all your worldly possessions. She had collected a few more things than when she had arrived, so had to use an extra string bag, but within half an hour, Lillian's life was packed away and ready to be transported to Mr. Twitchett's basement. She penned a quick note to her landlady, 
explaining that she had been called back home on emergency family matters. She thanked her and left her an extra month's rent. If today went well, she wouldn't be waiting for coin any time soon. Lillian felt a pang of sadness as she shut the door behind her, locked it and slid the key under it. Fritha twisted her head in confusion. No home, she explained, as if the animal could understand. Fritha's tail began to wag. Going out into Fridos was her favourite thing, and Lillian decided to treat her to a walk around Jekyll Park before going to see Mr. Atacop. The early morning air was fresh and smelled of baking bread. Fritha's nose twitched skywards as they walked down Volpe's Road and onto the main Fridos thoroughfares. They stopped at a bakery for some breakfast, and Lillian reminded herself to enjoy the morning warmth and the fresh air, as fresh as city air could ever be. Winter was coming, and from what she'd heard, the city was a grim place during the cold season. Any snow that fell would quickly turn to slush, and the inns would be packed with heat-seeking crowds. They turned a corner and saw the park gates up ahead. Fritha rushed forward and excitedly jumped up and down, knowing that she would imminently be allowed to run around and chase squirrels, rats, or any dogs that might be being walked. As soon as they walked through the gate and she felt grass underfoot, the giant beast bolted forwards like a loosed arrow. She headed straight for the pond, as Lillian knew she would. Her favourite thing was to drink from the cool, calm water and then look at the big fish. The surface was covered in brown leaves from the surrounding trees, so she could only catch glimpses of swishing fishy tails and gaping round mouths. A breeze picked up and sent the leaves floating across the surface like a fleet of little boats. Lillian had come down the small slope to join her friend. Fritha's tail picked up and wagged each time she caught a glimpse of something beneath the water. If Lillian hadn't fed her that morning, she would probably be jumping in to grab one. Her coat even shimmered into an approximation of the grassy bank she was standing on. That's quite impressive. A woman's voice spoke beside her. The leaves breezed away to reveal her reflection on the water's glassy surface. Lillian had sensed her approach and so had not bothered to turn around, if she'd wanted to harm her, she would not do it out in the open. Hello, Breed, Lillian tried to keep the tired sigh out of her tone. This was the last thing she wanted today. But then, she thought, Taziel Breed was probably an expert in being the last person anyone wanted to see. Hey, Seed, she replied, her voice cool as the breeze that brushed the trees. What do you want? Fritha had lost interest in the fish and, sensing no fear, decided to explore the possibility of finding a squirrel. So hostile. It's okay. I come in peace. Lillian had nothing to say to the woman whose associate had nearly broken William's back. Actually, I've come with some advice. Lillian tutted. Let me guess. It's going to cost me. No, no. This comes free of charge. Call it an act of charity. The word hit Lillian's ear strangely, as if Breed had never said it before, or it just felt alien to hear her talk of goodness. I don't believe you, 
I don't care, Breed was quick to reply. But here it is. She paused for a second. Lillian looked up at her. Her face was deep in thought, her eyes staring at the pond with all its hidden depths. It seemed as though she was struggling to find the right words. Perhaps she was really about to do something nice. Don't do what you're about to do. Lillian waited for something else. Nothing came. How do you... I told you, Hayseed. Knowledge is my job, and I'm the best in the business. I know what you're planning, and I've come to say, just don't, okay? Lillian was impressed. Is the great and dangerous Taziel Breed actually showing compassion to another human? Breed snorted. <laughs> Don't get used to it. As I said, consider it an act of charity. And you can joke as much as you like, but I'm being serious. Do not do what you're planning to do today. There are other ways to get the palace off your back. Lillian shook her head. Maybe if you have the time... Both women turned their attention to a dragonfly that had hovered into view. It landed on a leaf and seemed to be busy cleaning or eating something. A small ripple followed by a flash of scales and plopping sound, and the insect was gone, grabbed and pulled under the water by a hungry, dark mouth. Why are you telling me this? Lillian looked back at the mysterious woman, who shrugged. I'm not sure. Ever since you came sniffing around my house asking questions about brooches, things have been interesting. You're so little and annoying, and you've got that silly animal, and... She trailed off, not wanting to say anything that might sound like a compliment. Lillian felt oddly appreciated, even if it was for all the wrong reasons, Wanting someone to hate you still counted as being wanted, no? Lillian smiled. Well, I suppose I should thank you, but it's all planned. If you're that worried, you're welcome to help, but otherwise I recommend you stay clear. Now it was Breed's turn to smile. If you ever drop your moral compass, you might consider a career in crime. You've got the ego... And with what you're about to do, you're halfway there. Lillian scowled. She hated being compared to someone like Breed. The career criminal sighed. Well, I can't say I didn't warn you. Good luck, Hayseed. Breed's reflection disappeared from the surface of the pond. The last thing Lillian had seen was a glimpse of the black bird she had etched in ink at the top of her chest only just visible through the open buttons of her cotton shirt. She turned and caught Breed's attention before she was too far up the small slope. Breed? Breed stopped, turned back, and waited for the question. Where did you get that done? Lillian gestured to the bird and then to her own chest for clarity. Breed raised an eyebrow and smiled. Her shaven head and freckled face always looked so friendly when she smiled, but Lillian knew enough by now to know that this was just a mask that covered a dark heart. Only one place to get a decent tattoo, and that's Zant. And with that, she walked away. 
A small idea had formed in the back of Lillian's mind, but the sun was rising quickly and she had other, more dangerous matters to prepare for. Cromwell Atticop was not alone in his basement lodgings. Katrina Sturgeon, her red hair and glamorous gown shining like torches in the dim light, was with him. As Lillian shut the trap door behind her, she saw them look up from a clandestine conversation. Hello, Lily love. Katrina smiled broadly. Lillian returned the grin and began schlepping her bags down the rickety steps. What's all this? inquired Mr. Atticop. Lillian told them about her visit from Telson the night before and how her little room was probably not the best place for her to be staying at the moment. Well then, you have to stay with me, my dear, Katrina offered quickly, too quickly for Lillian to protest. She looked at Mr. Atticop. That's very generous, Katrina, but, he started to say, but she cut him off. I won't hear another word about it. Come to the rare flower market tonight and we'll set you up with a bed. Not for weeks and weeks, you understand, but it will do for now. Lillian smiled. She felt very lucky to have such fine friends. Katrina shot her a quick wink and moved the conversation to other matters. Come and have a look at this. She held up a small green bottle and beckoned Lillian over. Fretha padded round to Mr. Atticop's bed that was set up in a far corner of the room and, before he could say anything, she had hopped up onto the mattress and was making herself comfortable. Mr. Atticop muttered something about muddy paws under his breath, but Lillian ignored him. What is it? This is the closest I get to magic. Very rare, very dangerous. Just one drop and you'll have a hole the size of your fist in any material it touches. Mr. Atticop held up a piece of scrap metal they had presumably used to test the liquid. Just as Katrina had said, right there in the middle was a perfectly round hole. Mr. Atticop held it up to his face so that Lillian could see his eye through it. How long? she asked. Two minutes. We timed it, said Mr. Atticop. Lillian took the piece off him and ran her fingers over the edges of the hole. It was perfectly smooth, as if it had been filed down for hours. Suddenly, Lillian understood the significance. This is how we get into the Werdian coffers, Katrina smiled. Not just a pretty face. Lillian wasn't sure if she was talking about her or herself. Katrina's smile suddenly dropped and she became serious. This stuff takes a long time to make, and it's very expensive. We understand, Katrina. You will be more than fairly compensated for your contribution. Katrina's smile returned. Just like old times. Mr. Atkop laughed. Should I get Zadok in here? No, I don't think that's necessary. They both laughed at the inside joke. The laughter then slowly faded 
as the seriousness of the situation dawned on them all. There was a pause, and then Mr. Atticop said the words that Lillian had been half dreading to hear. Well then, I suppose we should plan this robbery. Four hours later, the plan was in place, and the sun was beginning to set. Everyone had eaten a few pieces of bread with some cheese and dried meats, followed by an apple. They were going to need all the energy they could muster. For the final hour, they sat in silence. Katrina bade them good luck and goodbye and left them to sit. Lillian had her eyes closed and her mind empty. She let the sounds and smells of the present moment wash over her without fear, without judgment. Mr. Atticop did the same, emptying his mind of worry and gathering the energy he would need. It would have been easier if the moon had been out, but a little extra time in silent meditation could compensate for that. They were down to their last drops of essence, so he could not rely on the mysterious liquid as much as he would have liked. This would be like the missions in his youth, before he'd mastered the finding and bottling of the lunar liquid. Lillian had never used essence, but she made sure to sit close to Fritha. She would be relying on her powers of concealment heavily in the upcoming hours. Eighth bell chimed in the distance. The guard shift would change in an hour. Another useful tip from Cassandra. Mr. Atticop opened his eyes. Lillian's were already wide and alert. Her hair seemed to flicker between its normal red and the dull green of the blanket beside her. And her eyes, they were darker somehow. The whites were becoming dark grey and pupils were, what, yellow? perhaps? It was hard to tell from this distance. Whatever the colours, she no longer looked like the little red-headed girl he'd met on the mountain. She was a nocturne. She was gloaming. She was peace and she was power. He knew her hearing would be heightened, so he only needed to whisper, You're ready. Fritha gave them a concerned look from the bottom of the stairs as they shut the trap door behind them. Lillian was worried about whether Mr. Atticop would be spotted on the way to the Werdian headquarters, but she knew that the plan would not work without both of them present at once. She touched the strands of Fritha's fur she had put in her pocket and double-checked that Cassandra's knife was still firmly tied to her back and that the handle was in easy reach over her shoulder. She kept checking these things all the way down the street, as well as occasionally tapping on the pocket that contained Katrina's melting potion. Fur, blade, potion. Fur, blade, potion. Her hands went from one to the other again and again, as if not making sure they were there meant they would suddenly disappear as most valuable things had a habit of doing on the busy streets of Fridos. At one point, she saw Mr. Atticop touch his sleeve and knew that he was doing the same with the last bottle of lunar essence. It was more useful in his hands than hers, but she knew that he would only be able to use it in an emergency. Suddenly, she stuck her arm out in front of him. The sound of footsteps and laughter was coming from round a corner. 
they hugged the wall and waited for the small crowd to go past. It would not be the last group they would encounter on their way to Lager Quarter. Most were just as easily avoided, but one or two took a little while longer to get around. A smoking landlord outside his public house, a woman hanging washing on a line both needed riskier approaches. Thankfully, no one seemed to recognise Mr Atticop by his description on the posters or notice that Lillian looked a little strange. Lillian found herself praying for nightfall more than once along the journey. After just under an hour, they were in Lager Quarter and the Werdian Garrison building loomed low in the distance. Cassandra had described the building accurately. From this distance, a little way down the main boulevard, it could have easily been another bank or government office. The only thing distinguishing this building from those around it were the two Werdian officers in green coats stationed outside the large double doors. They had timed their arrival well, as just as they came into view, two other officers emerged from the doors and greeted the guards. This was only one of two times in the day that there would be four Werdian guards here. Lillian eyed them carefully. They were all very tall and wore the distinctive long green coats and iron-buckled dark blue uniforms. They smiled and joked as they greeted their colleagues. They all had short hair and big black boots. Lillian and Mr Atticop said nothing as they approached. Dusk was settling over the wide road. The sandstone buildings on either side, recently orange from the sunset, were now turning blue-grey. As the sun disappeared beyond the horizon, its light faded and Lillian faded with it. By the time they reached the front of the Werdian building, she was gone, melted away from sight like sugar in tea. Mr. Atticop heard her footsteps break away from his. He glanced at the four Werdian officers and readied himself. He had been conserving his energy all the way over from when he'd gathered it in the basement. The silence had helped. He wished he could have waited just a couple more hours until the moon was high in the sky, but it was now or never. It had been a long time since Cromwell Atticop had practised gloaming without the use of lunar essence. A part of him had been worried he might not be able to achieve anything, but old habits die hard, and as he felt the surge of energy rising in his chest from his stomach, he knew he hadn't quite lost the gift. He had never managed to turn invisible without essence, but that did not matter. In fact, right now he needed to achieve the exact opposite. Mr. Atticop's role in the robbery was that of decoy, so he conjured up the brightest, loudest and most violent effects he could think of. Out from the depths of his concentration, up through his chest, down his arms and into his fidgeting fingers. The men had noticed his approach now. One might have even been calling out to him, asking him his name and business. Mr. Atticop couldn't hear him over the thumping of blood and puissance in his ears. He was so used to the quick and immediate power granted to him by lunar essence, he'd forgotten the benefits of building up a lot of power over a long time. The Werdian were reaching for their swords now. 
Mr. Atikop glanced at the belts of the two senior officers. They could be distinguished from their subordinates by the small stripes on their chests and, more importantly, by the large ring of keys on their belts. They were all approaching him now, swords drawn, their points levelled at his chest. One of the younger officers crossed in front of his superior, making to flank Mr. Atikop. In the brief second it took him to pass in front, the ring of keys had been lifted. Mr. Atikop permitted himself a small smile. Lillian had succeeded in her first task. Now it was up to him. I said, get on your knees and put your hands behind your back. The officer's face was red with anger. He'd recognised Mr. Atikop from across the street and was wishing in his heart that this old man would give him an excuse to use his sword. No, said Mr. Atikop calmly. No, I don't think I will. With that, he brought his arms up and out in front of him, his palms down and fingers spread wide. His dark cloak, which he had been focusing a lot of his thoughts and energy on during his preparation, flew up and out with the movement. The material had shifted and changed in the past hour. Although it still looked and felt like high-quality woven cotton, it was also now imbued with Mr. Atacop's own brand of gloaming. It was a living, moving darkness that extended out in front of him like octopus tendrils. One arm of the cloak wrapped itself around an officer's neck, forcing him to drop his sword and claw at the cloth for air. Another whipped out to the left and attached itself to the flanking officer's ankle. Mr. Atikop jerked his left hand up and back, causing the man to lose his footing and be momentarily yanked forward. The remaining officer's eyes widened in shock and horror. But these were trained soldiers, familiar with all manner of fighting styles. Their shock only lasted a few seconds then, and before Mr. Atikop could react, they were bearing their swords down on him. The one on Mr. Atikop's right side had revenge on his mind and murder in his eyes. He drew his weapon back with intent to kill, and had Lillian not been behind him to pull on his belt, he may have just landed a deadly strike. Thankfully, Lillian's role was not limited to lifting keys, and so the man was pulled back and down, landing unceremoniously on his backside with a thud. His face contorted in pain, and Mr. Atikop realised that he must have bitten his tongue on impact. With him down for a second, though, it left the one remaining attacker. Mr. Atikop waited until the last second before the sword came slashing down to fall into the folds of his cloak. Mr. Atikop allowed the magically imbued material to envelop him, move him down and round, and bring him back up in the officer's blind spot. He managed to get a kick in before having to turn back to face the Werdian who had been struggling with the cloak at his throat. 
He'd managed to pry the material away and was now moving in closer to try to punch or grapple Mr. Atacop. Just a little longer, he thought as he dodged and batted away the oncoming hits. These men had the advantage in numbers, but Cromwell Atacop had experience and gloaming on his side. He ducked under a left hook and at the same time yanked the last Werdian, the one who had the cloak around his ankle, back down to the floor. Now there were three of them on him. The black material came up like a shield and wrapped around an incoming punch. Then it flicked out like a whip, narrowly missing an eye but causing a bright red line to appear across a cheek. Just grab him, you useless fools! The large Werdian, who Mr. Atacop guessed was the most senior ranked, barked orders at his men. But they were just for show. The captain knew that his men were trying their best, because he was trying just as hard. Cromwell Atacop fell and rose around them like liquid shadow. His cloak was attacking and defending all at once, and any attempt the men made to try and grab him was met with arms wrapped around empty air. There were muffled screams as the dark material pulled back heads and the sound of scraping boots as their owners were whisked backwards and off their feet. After about three minutes of this, Mr. Atacop decided that his ruse had been successful and that the fight had gone on long enough. He gently decreased his attacks and allowed two of the officers to get closer. Not too close, of course. He braced himself for a punch to the chest that he could have easily blocked, but time was ticking and the plan had to move to its second phase. Mr. Atacop made a show of stumbling back, allowing the captain to rush forward and put him in an arm lock. Mr. Atacop had successfully disarmed all of them by now, so he didn't fear any lethal retribution. The captain twisted his arm behind his back a little more forcefully than he would have liked, but this was to be expected. Mr. Atacop had humiliated four highly trained officers. They would need to let off some aggression. It's definitely him, one of them spat. I seen his face before, and that... He gestured towards Mr. Atacop's cloak, and then all around him, as if replicating its strange movements. That was definitely sorcery. The captain leant forward, bringing his mouth right beside Mr. Atacop's ear. Not content with blowing us up, you came to finish the job, didn't you, sorcerer scum? Suddenly, Mr. Atacop was moving. Frog marched forwards towards the main door. He could hear the keys jangling on the captain's belt and thanked the gods everything was so far going to plan. He could live with a few bruises and a sprained elbow. He was already feeling the effects of the gloaming as he grew more tired with every step. Another advantage of Lunar Essence is that it doesn't force the user to burn their own energy supply. He would sleep well tonight, he thought. The officers moved him down corridors packed with gawking guards and curious officials. Despite it being early evening, the building was still packed with people. The four officers from outside paraded Mr. Atacop around like a prize fish, stopping to tell anyone who looked important that it was them who finally brought in the crazed and dangerous sorcerer. There would be commendations, ceremonies, and tall mugs of ale, no doubt. Mr. Atacop 
didn't care. Before turning the corner that led to the dungeon steps, he managed to glance back. All eyes were on him, just as they had planned. No one would see the shimmering shape of a small girl slipping past a couple of guards. They might not have seen it even if they had been on the lookout. Such was Lillian's skill with Fritha's gift. But Cromwell Atacop knew how to spot her, and the last thing he saw before the damp wall of the dungeon staircase obstructed his view was a blurred shape staying low and sneaking up the main staircase. Mr. Atacop smiled. They were in. Hello! Thank you for listening to episode 41 of Ben Luna. I have been Simon Maida. The music was by Tom Figgins. So next week is Christmas, which is very exciting. I will be taking a couple of weeks off the podcast because I've been very busy and need a break. But we will be back in early January and soon after that, season four will be over. Well, not too soon, but in a bit. <laughs> if you're feeling festive and want to give us a Christmas gift, you can either donate to the podcast on our website, or you can join our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast. We also have merchandise in our shop on the website, so have a look there to see if you want to buy someone some Ben Luna merchandise for Christmas. For now, I will see you in the new year. So, from me and Tom, Happy holidays and Happy New Year. Ben Luna is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Goodbye.